we continue worshiping this morning, we invite you to turn into your Bible or Bible apps to the words of the prophet Isaiah, the sixth chapter beginning in the verse. Let us receive the word of God. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lofty, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphs were in attendance above him, each had six wings. With two they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. The pivots on the threshold shook at the voices of those who called, and the house filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a, among a people of unclean lips, yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphs flew to me, holding a live coal that had been taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. The seraph touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your guilt has departed and your sin is blotted out. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and whom will go for us? And I said, Here I here, here am I, send me. Receive what the Spirit is saying. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God of justice and of new life, open our hearts and the ancient text of scripture by the power of Holy Spirit, that we might receive what you have for us today. Amen. I recently started watching the television show, The Walking Dead. On the surface, it's a story of a zombie apocalypse. But more than that, so far as I can tell from the seven episodes I've seen so far, it's a story really of human relationship, of ethics, and the gifts and challenges of life in community. It's also an opportunity to explore the different ways people react and respond in the midst of crisis. We, of course, do not, I pray, anticipate a zombie apocalypse anytime soon. But I have found that as a person who's interested in human behavior, community dynamics, and spiritual and personal growth, watching the show has led me to all sorts of thoughts and questions, but particularly a question that I often ask when confronted with a challenging human scenario. And that question is, what would I be like if that happened to me? The truth is, we have been in a multi-layered crisis over the past year and a half a multi-phased crisis, a crisis that's spun out and highlighted multiple other crises. And some of us, of course, are experiencing personal or interpersonal crises as well. 
So the question where we begin, what are you like in the midst of crisis? What are we as Foundry Congregation like in the midst of crisis? What do we do? How do we respond? How do you react or respond? Theologian and spiritual teacher Elizabeth Koenig writes, the anxiety-ridden energy of a crisis contains potential for change. Confronted squarely and reflectively in the presence of God, the energy of crisis can expand our sense of who we are. Crisis and the anxiety that rides in on it may not be things that we want to welcome into our lives or spend energy on. But there are moments in our lives as persons and communities, like right now, when we cannot avoid crisis, when we can't pretend everything is fine. And in those moments, the question becomes, who and how will you be? in that space. I imagine I don't need to outline all the ways that crisis and anxiety can lead to defensiveness, blaming, confusion, reactivity, distorted perception, paranoia, breakdowns in communication and thoughtful engagement with others, and personal panic and inertia. Dissociation from self and disconnection from others often happens. Fight, flight, or freeze are common. And all of that and more, which I'm sure you might name, can lead to pretty unpleasant things. Spiritual wisdom from many traditions, and certainly Christian wisdom, encourages us to resist the urge to flee. We're encouraged to be aware, to stay aware of what is happening around us and what comes up within us in the midst of that. We're encouraged to observe outwardly and inwardly and to try to name as best we can what's going on. To breathe, to pray, to bring all of our feelings our reactions, our anxiety, our fear, our anger, our questions, to bring all of it into the presence of God and to ask God to help us learn from all of those things. The invitation is also to hold the crisis, whatever it is, in the larger perspective 
uh, the story of God's liberating love and mending activity in the world. To remember that this moment, this present crisis is not all there is. And to intentionally remain open to what God will reveal to us about ourselves, about others, or about realities in the world around us. Crisis can be profoundly clarifying. Isaiah found himself in a crisis moment. King Uzziah has died after reigning 52 years. I put it in perspective for me anyway, as long as I've been alive, almost. Um, King Uzziah had been king. And even though during that time, the people of Judah rebelled in all the familiar ways, injustice, greed, hypocrisy, lies, power grabs, arrogance, even though they were doing all that the whole time that King Uzziah was on the throne, things had remained relatively stable. The king had managed to hold the nation together. But now the king has died and things feel unmoored. They feel uncertain. And the injustice that has been allowed to linger and flourish in the nation has left the people and the country vulnerable to all sorts of destruction from within and without. And in that year that King Uzziah died, around 738 before the Common Era, in the midst of a national crisis and with anxieties rolling down like an ever-flowing stream, Isaiah had a vision of God. The hem, just the hem of the divine garment filled the entire temple in this vision. And seraphs, strange six-winged beings who hid their faces and their feet as they flew, called out to one another, proclaiming that the whole earth is filled. Just like the temple is filled with just the hymn, the whole earth is filled with God's glory. Things become shaky then in this vision and filled with smoke. It's a beautiful, terrifying divine encounter in the midst of a crisis. And Isaiah could have shut down or allowed fear to send him running. But he stays present. And in the midst, identifies and names what comes up in him. He says, I'm lost. Perhaps he's uncertain about whether he's going to survive this moment, for he's aware of both the sin of the nation and his own sin. I'm a man of unclean lips and among people of unclean lips. He acknowledges then that God is present in the mix 
of it all, that he has seen God, a thing that has meant death for others in the lore of Jewish religious history. But just then, Isaiah is touched with the purifying fire of God's mercy. His sin, his guilt, are, the text says, blotted out. God has not destroyed Isaiah in this moment. God has cleansed and liberated him. Here again, the words I shared at the beginning, quote, the anxiety-ridden energy of a crisis contains potential for change. Confronted squarely and reflectively in the presence of God, the energy of crisis can expand our sense of who we are. In this anxiety-ridden moment of crisis in Judah, in the midst of the extraordinary encounter with God, Isaiah discovers that he is strong enough to stay present in the midst of fear and uncertainty and guilt. He learns that he is forgiven, that he is free and that he is called. When he overhears God asking the question, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Isaiah says, here, here I am, send me. Now, if you read on in chapter 6 of Isaiah, you'll see that after Isaiah has volunteered himself, he learns that the work he's called to is impossible. The people he is told are not going to listen to him. They're not going to respond. It's kind of a things are going to get a lot worse before they get better kind of calling. And the getting better part is not really assured. Now, this reality, too, might have led Isaiah to turn tail and run. But he doesn't. He simply makes himself available and present to God, even as he's aware of his vulnerability and sin. And as the scriptures reveal, we got a big old book of Isaiah. Isaiah just kept reminding people of God's love, God's way of justice, God's faithfulness, God's promises, God's desire for relationship, God's disappointment when the people are being so stubborn, even as they're being stubborn and can't or won't receive the message or respond. Not many of us would rush in to volunteer for a job where there's a high probability that we won't see the results of our work and we won't um, be able to have the reaction from people that we want and people will likely flat out reject us or our message or whatever it is we're offering. 
I mean, let's sign right up for that. But as Reverend Dr. King said famously, the time is always right to do what is right. Which is to say, a divine calling may very well mean doing what is called for in the moment simply because it is right, not because it will have immediate positive results that we can take credit for or celebrate humbly or see at all. John Lewis wrote this. Take a long, hard look down the road you will have to travel once you've made a commitment to work for change. Know that this transformation will not happen right away. Change often takes time. It rarely happens all at once. In the movement, he said, we didn't know how history would play itself out. When we were getting arrested and waiting in jail or standing in unmovable lines on the courthouse steps, we didn't know what would happen, but we knew it had to happen. We used to say that ours is not the struggle of one day, one week, or one year. Ours is the struggle of a lifetime, or maybe even many lifetimes. And each one of us in every generation must do our part. The call for some may not be to agitate for justice in the public square like Dr. King or John Lewis, but to do what is right instead in much less visible ways. I just had a conversation with one of my clergy colleagues who shared that the double digit years she's investing in her congregation are primarily spent in ways that most people will never see or even understand. That deep work that happens under and behind the scenes to bring healing, to raise consciousness, and to adjust systems and uh, processes into more just and faithful shapes. Deep culture change in community, as well as deep personal change in our lives, is often about the work that happens day in and day out, the work that others may know nothing about, but that ultimately creates openings for liberation and new life. And often, in community, the new life that you may have worked for for a long time may emerge only after you're gone and without anyone knowing that you played any part in its flourishing. Whether public and with high visibility or behind the scenes and known only to a few, we may be called to do things that scare us or that we believe are beyond our capacity. We may be asked to step up and move forward in a relationship, in a vocation, a ministry, a leadership role. And that may happen when the way is 
terrifyingly shaky and unclear, like a shaking structure filled with smoke. In my own life, however, I have found that what I heard Reverend Dr. Iantha Mills preach at Asbury the Sunday before I started my ministry here at Foundry, it stuck with me. She said, um, and I believe this is true, she said, what God brings you to, God brings you through. All our fears and guilt and insecurity and worry our worry about failure. <laughs> All of those things are no match for the grace and power of God working in and through us. If we are willing, like Isaiah, to stay present and to discern what God is revealing in our lives and in our community. Crises of, of any kind will evoke lots of challenging feelings and reactions. Rather than rejecting them, can we confront them squarely and reflectively in the presence of God and be willing to discern how God is calling us, revealing to us more of who we are, beckoning us into ever deeper faith, hope, and love. Maybe you've already heard or are hearing God calling you in the midst of crisis to affect some kind of change in your life, or in your work, in your relationship, or in the larger society. The question, will you, like Isaiah, be willing to respond? Here I am. Send me. Amen. <laughs>